Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. We're going to do a little exercise now that got me in real trouble. Uh, I used to do this thing where I'd, I would take a scene out of the movie Gladiator where they would all lock their shields. And... Uh, and and the uh, Maximus would tell them as they locked their shields in the middle of the arena, he would say, as the chariots are coming down to roll them over and break them up, he said, hold, hold. And then as they came forward, he said, as one. And then when he said, as one, boom, they all shouted back, as one. And they locked their shields. And when they did that, the chariots hit them and boom, were repulsed. And I looked at that when, the, when this was like the year 2000, 1999, whenever that movie came out. And it's just, so the Spirit of God hit me in that uh, theater and said, the day will come when the gates of hell are going to release an assault against the church, but the church that has warriors that can lock their shields will repulse it. So let's start the conference by activating that gladiator spirit. Put your right hand up in the air. On the count of three, you're going to bring it out strong, a prophetic statement. You're going to say, as one, just like that. Now, now uh, I want you to do this with uh, almost like a spiritual aggression because it's not just, you know, this isn't like a Tony Robbins moment. This is a prophetic gesture because prophetically, bam, you're releasing something. All right, run the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Has one. Oh, very good. All right, you may be seated. And there is something about those gestures, you know, like the... Uh, the prophet that was, uh, remember the old prophet told the king, take the arrows and smite them on the ground. And the, and the king kind of hit him three times and the prophet was irritated with him. He said, what's the matter with you? Why did you do that? Why didn't you just smite them five or six times? So I look at how people do that and I go, well, it tells you a little bit about whether their inner man is really in the battle or it's disconnected. I've got two interesting new products. I just found them. I didn't even know we have them. But um, I'm always happy to find something new because... You can get stuck with um, new messages, but you don't always kind of put them out there and get them out there. But this is interesting. End time Jesus. This, this one came to me because I was thinking about how prophets can see things, but not necessarily get the right timing on it. And then it creates a confusion on people all over the place. Well, they must have missed it. Well, maybe not. So when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, now the ax is laid to the root of the tree. He's going to... Um, He's going, to, he's going to bring unquenchable fire. He's going to separate the harvest. And what he was seeing was the end-time ministry of Jesus because Jesus comes back in Thessalonians in flaming fire, taking vengeance upon his enemies. So John the Baptist saw the manifestation, but he didn't get the timing right. And even Jesus said to him, he said, this is the greatest of all the prophets. It wasn't a slight on John. It was that he saw the end and thought it was going to happen then, which is why when Jesus was you know, multiplying party beverage for a wedding and healing people, and everybody's all happy. He's going, this isn't what I saw. Are you he, or, is, or am I supposed to look for somebody else? Because he saw a different administration. He saw a warrior taking over. He didn't see a, a healer that was, um, you know, an itinerant preacher. And so I'm suggesting to you that we're living in the day now where you're in danger 
of having such an incubation of a Jesus that was suitable for a previous era of time that when the warrior shows up, you don't even know if it's Jesus. So when, God, so when the enemy comes against you, and if you don't know the warrior Jesus in the last days, your, your intimacy is not the right response to some battles. You're attacking back against the enemy is what God requires of you. So sometimes you have to be able to push back and, and not just press in to the Lord. So that's a different kind of administration. This will help you get your timing in the right way. And the other thing I thought was interesting is this Melchizedek thing. Because... Um, I believe that, you know, the end-time ministry of Jesus, again, is supposed to be according to the order of Melchizedek. And I'm going to, I got 30 minutes with you guys, so I'm going to give it to you like you're all Bible students, and, uh, I'm, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to, I'll be like Jordan Peterson. I'm just going to talk to you like you all can handle it, and just let you hear it. So the Melchizedek thing is that here is two alchemies that come together. It's a kingly anointing and a priestly anointing. Now, this is interesting because the kingly anointing has lateral dominion on the earth. According to the sphere that is assigned to a king, they have dominion over the territory. Spiritually, that means the kingly anointing has territory on earth where the devil has to submit to you because you have been given authority over him in that sphere. And so that's the earthly side of it. Now, the priestly side, Zechariah, the prophet, was talking to Joshua, the priest, and he said, uh, if you will walk with God in the way that God wants you to walk, then he will give you places to stand among those that are standing in third heaven by him. In other words, you'll go up into a, into a position in the heavenlies where you're going to be hearing throne room strategies, speaking out what's from your own heart, and you will come down with an authority that commissions you because you're in the very atmosphere of heaven authorizing activity on the earth. So if you'll walk with me, I'm going to put you up there with those that are standing in the, in the entourage of the throne of God. Now, you put those two together, and what you have is an anointing that you're invited to step into, which gives you intimacy at the throne of God, where you can hear what God wants to do in your life, through your life, in the earth, and you can come down with that spiritual authority as an intercessor, as a prophet, as a worshiper, and then be able to operate in a realm of authority over circumstances, situations, and territory God's assigned to you for the Great Commission. The church is all this way and not this way. And that's the reason why there's so much dislocation in the body of Christ. Because, and, and what it does is it creates a longing to leave rather than a decision to occupy. Jesus said, occupy when, you know, till I come. He didn't say, be preoccupied with when you're getting out. So, if you put these two together, they'll mess with you in a good way. Hallelujah. And the net, net result is becoming unstoppable. And this is like my higher-end stuff because I work with CEOs. I've got like 100 uh, CEOs I work with. And this is the stuff that I, I would do with them. And it's really about how your agreements shape your identity. And so what you agree with is, in, you know, when the devil attacks you, here's the mischievous thing about the devil. He doesn't externally talk to you or you go, that's the devil. <laughs> it's, an, it's called internal dialogue. Everyone here thinks and speaks at the rate of 1,500 words a minute. I may be talking fast, but you're thinking faster. You're finishing my thoughts. You're wandering around, coming back to what I'm saying. Your own thoughts is where the enemy comes in and infuses himself. That's why you've got to take every thought captive to uh, the Word of God. Bring every imagination captive. Yours, especially, because if you get in the habit of bringing yours under, the devil will be more conspicuous. 
It's like, well, I don't normally think that way. Where is that coming from? I see I got to go down a weird road. So I, I, when I was doing CEO work as a consultant, I didn't want to be in the world. I wanted to be in the ministry. All my friends were in Bible college. They were all going to go the route of signs and wonders, ministry, revival. And I was longing to go there. But the Lord had a different route for me. I was in New York at a corporation. And I thought that as soon as I finished my assignment in that corporation, God would release me to my ministry, teaching and preaching like some of my friends were doing. And so I was anxious to finish that assignment. So I thought, really, no, I'm going to do I'm consulting here. And, and where I was was interesting. It's called Babylon, New York. That was my headquarters. <laughs> Corporate headquarters in Babylon. So here I am, and I'm in Babylon. And, uh, and I'd walk around the, the building at night, and I would pray, and I'd intercede. And I'd pray and intercede. Now, here's a weird thing. As I walked around the building, praying, kind of like figuring like Jericho, walk around the building, pray for salvation, pray for God to do whatever he wants me to do, pray, help me to do it so I could be free from this assignment and go on and do my ministry. And while I'm walking around, I would experience invariably different moods and emotions and thoughts would come over me. And it was very weird. Uh, when I was in the customer service department, we had a lot of uh, but this sounds sexist, I know, but we had a lot of single young women. And when I walked through there, I had all these longing, emotional, romantic unfulfillments going on. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, I better find a wife. I need to get married. I need to do something. And I was all preoccupied, like with a different realm. Then I'd leave that and I went through the union department and I felt the hostility. And I started feeling agitated, like I got to get out of this business, man. I need to be in the ministry. I shouldn't even be here. I'll pray. Let me pray. Then I go through the management department, and I feel this mind-binding, like witchcraft on my mind. And then I walk through the sales department, and there was this kind of, uh, this kind of weird kind of like uh, manipulation was coming over me. And I was thinking about, you know, I could make some money here, though. You know, I'm making, I was making like $1,000 a day. It was like I was the rich young ruler. I wanted to leave it to go into ministry. I'm thinking, but you know, I could, if I could be here and make some money and then you know, have a nest egg. And, I, and I, by the time I was done walking around trying to be an intercessor, I felt so backslid and defiled that I was ready to repent. I said, you see, Lord, this is why I shouldn't be in the world. I'm built for ministry. I can't even walk around and pray in these places. And the Lord said, what's the matter with you? When you're with me, before you go to that office, you're fine. When you come home, you're fine. When you're there, you pick up on what's in the atmosphere. Dummy, it's not you. It's in the atmosphere. You're in there interceding, and when you're praying, you're experiencing the environment that you're hitting. I wonder how many of you are wrestling with devils that you think are you. How many of you have battles with thoughts, and you're not realizing it's, it's the environment that you're in, and you're, you're literally under the influence like being in a smoke-filled room. You smell smoky, and you're constantly whipping yourself, thinking, is it me? Is it me? No, it's the room. So I realized, I thought, oh, wait a second. You're right. I don't have any of that now that I'm back at the hotel. So I was traveling to Massapequa. I stayed at a hotel, and then I go to office, the corporate office and work there. And so it's like, I don't have it when I'm here. So the next day I went back. This time I realized my thoughts that I was having were actually an interaction with the environment and the spirits that were in that area because they were authorized by the people who invited them in. Does this make sense to you? I'm trying to show you how to 3D the map of the world you're in so that you can see the spiritual dimension a little bit more clearly. So then I started binding and loosing. When I got those 
uh, you know, those angry thoughts, I would begin to loose the spirit of grace and peace, and I'd be releasing a spirit of wisdom and reconciliation. Management, I was releasing binding witchcraft. I was loosing wisdom and persuasion. Now, weird thing happened. I had more authority every day I was in that office. And people started getting saved in the office and coming to me for solutions. I did not understand what was going on. I actually was so ignorant, I thought the devil was trying to promote me into the company to keep me from my ministry. <laughs> I had a meeting, a board of directors meeting with the president of the company. All the other managers were there, and I had written out a strategy. Well, here's what I did. I took from Isaiah, I took from the Bible. I, I wrote out the problems and challenges the company had. I laid it on the floor. I lifted my hands. I prayed in the spirit. I prayed in the Holy Ghost. I prayed. And then I began to look for solutions, had divine appointments giving me answers to the problem, wrote out the marketing plan for the company, figured this is it. I'm, I'm going to be done when I give them their marketing plan. I was a consultant. So I kind of, uh, I get into the board meeting. All the other managers are there. Here's the board of directors. And a weird thing happens because I'm Pentecostal in my background. And so when I was young in Pentecost, we used to have this, something would hit you when you start to prophesy. And you'd feel this kind of like something come into the room. And we always had like a weird little way we'd start the prophecy out. This is old school Pentecost. We used to say, thus saith the Lord. It was kind of like, it's like the old lawnmowers. You pull a cord. It was like, thus saith the Lord. And that would get you going. And you go and deliver the word. So I'm standing up there in front of the, the boardroom. And all of a sudden, it's like, ping, I feel like, oh, my God, what just hit me? Oh, no, it's the prophetic. The prophetic in the boardroom of the corporation in Babylon. And I'm thinking, I can't say, thus saith the Lord. They'll think I've lost my mind. So I didn't say, thus saith the Lord. I said, and this is what you must do. And I, I commanded them like it was Jesus talking to them. I told them exactly what they had to do and why, the, why their company wasn't working, what they needed to do to get it straightened out. And when I got done, it was the weirdest thing. Mr. Orzak, the president of the company, sitting at the other end of the table, you would have thought it was Handel's Messiah. He stood up and gave a standing ovation. And he's all by himself applauding. So every other manager realized they don't want to leave the boss alone applauding, so they all got up and applauded with him. And right away I knew those other people aren't going to like me very much because I'm now like Daniel in Babylon. I'm competition. But I also saw how praying in tongues, moving in the prophetic, operating and deserting of spirits, binding and loosing, working with angels, deserting demons is all part of the nomenclature of the Christian life. And, and if you don't integrate all of these components into your life, what are you going to, are you going to wait until you're up on a platform like this? Let me tell you something. Only 10% of this room is supposed to be close to doing the ministry work on the stage or behind the scenes or in the music ministry. Why do I know that? Because I know biblical numbers. I'm an Ashkenazi Jew on my father's side. I come from a long line of rabbis. We are Levites. We come from the tribe of Cohen. That's my Levitical tribe. I am a tongue-talking Levite in your midst right now. Both of my brothers are professors. They, don't, they haven't accepted Jesus. They're all mad at me, but it's okay. They'll come into the kingdom eventually. But I've, I come from a line of teachers. We're rabbis. What can we do? We can't help ourselves. So here, here's, here's the thing I want you to understand. 10% of Israel is called to the temple priesthood. 90% is called to expand the empire. 
That means God has the Joshua's as generals. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He was a ruler. And you got the whole book of Joshua, how they took the area of the Amalekites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Ven and the They were taking different territory, and God has territory for the body of Christ. But it comes about when we integrate, like I'm doing with you right now, weaving together the things of the Spirit into the realm of the natural so that you don't have to live in a dichotomy of going to church here only in order to experience God, you then can unpack the mystery of the kingdom into whatever area you go into. And the prophetic will be talking to you in that place because God has a harvest for you in that place. Does that make sense to you? Well, I just took half my preaching time to exhort you spontaneously. But I mean, but I, I feel like I, this has to be said because I want you to feel the invitation into this thing, this, this seven mountains, this concept uh, that is out there. It really comes down to this. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord. Amen. Jesus already has all authority on earth. We have a theology that postpones everything until the Antichrist shows up, the end times, the horrors, and we get out of here. I would suggest to you that you start rethinking this whole thing. Let's just say that all authority in heaven and earth has already been given to Jesus. Amen. And he says to you, go therefore. So rather than you um, wondering about how bad it's going to get, you should be looking to see what part of the inheritance of Jesus is actually given to you. Because there are angels that are unemployed. And I'm sorry to say that. They're... They're unemployed angels. I led a guy to the Lord once who, was a, who ended up working for Walt Disney, Disney Studios as a cartoonist. And I led him to the Lord, and he was in my church when I had a church. And uh, his last thing he could do, he had to sign away on a contract his ability to do any artwork for anybody else on planet Earth because Disney owned him the moment he signed that contract. He said, Pastor, uh, before I sign the contract, I'm going to do one final independent piece of work because I can never draw another independent piece of work once I'm under contract with Disney. He painted a picture for me of an angel sitting down, sword and ready for war, sitting, watching. And I looked at it, and I thought, well, maybe, you know, angels were sitting on the stone in Jesus' uh, resurrection, and the angels were there, and, you know, maybe this is kind of like, I'm trying to figure out, maybe I need to teach him a little bit, because after all, he is a young disciple. You know, David, angels are ministering spirits sent forth like flames of fire. They're active and vigilant. They're purposeful, and they're, they're moving at a speed which your human eye cannot even detect, but they are, they're an active agency. They're not lethargic or apathetic. He said, well, Pastor, I've been thinking about that. And you know how you're saying that angels have been assigned to us because everyone has been given a work. Jesus said to everyone his work. He said, and you said that there are angels that have been assigned so that our salvation, our deliverance, our protection, that these angels are as much as there's devils out there, there are angels that are there also. And then I'm wondering, what happens to the angels when the majority of the body of Christ refuses to go do the adventure God called them to? I think they watch over the person they've been assigned to, but since they're not doing anything, they just sit and watch like the angels that were waiting for the women to come to the tomb. And I thought, maybe, this, maybe God's talking to me through this young guy. Maybe I'm not, maybe he isn't missing it. And I'm beginning to think about this. Jesus has been promised nations for his inheritance. I don't even think we believe that. Because when we talk about the inheritance of Jesus, we talk about souls. 
souls. And you know the problem we're talking about souls. I could talk to you about all the souls getting saved in China, all the Muslims having dreams. Oh, we're all happy. But you see, you can't quantify that. But if I talk to you about territory that is being acquired by God on the earth, the kingly anointing taking on territory, it actually is measurable. You can see it with your eyes. And so uh, the will of God is that there would be more territory taken. And you know, while we're praying, and I see, I, because I believe this so strongly, I see God at work in our day in ways that many of us do, do not see. For instance, I pray for people before they get saved. The churches sometimes are all nervous about Elon Musk, and they're nervous about, like, Peterson, and they're nervous about Russell Brand. I'm already, I'm, if, if you ever watch me, I do, like, late-night prayer walks, and I'll sometimes do broadcasts, and I call it Red Rover, Red Rover, I'm calling Russell Brand over. And I call him over, we do a prayer intercession, <laughs> we're claiming him for the kingdom of God. Sure enough, whether it's Tucker Carlson or Jordan Peterson, all of them eventually start moving. They're walking their way towards the light, and they're, and they're, and they're coming closer and closer all the time. <laughs> Meanwhile, Elon buys Twitter, loses money, but shakes out the intelligence services that were using Twitter in order to create counterfeit false narratives that would be reinforced by their lackeys in the media world. And so they were creating this this global manipulation of information on Twitter. And the moment that Elon took it, he shook them out. They don't have authority there anymore. Now it's actually a platform which proliferates with whatever people want to say, they just go ahead and say. Now I'm looking at that and going, actually, the church is missing it because we're looking for while well, that he gets saved. And we're, we're, our, our analysis of the penetration of the kingdom it's like when I'm talking about walking around that corporate office. I'm sh I was shallow at first because to me it was like either it's, I'm in the ministry or I'm in business. And the Lord said, don't you get it? All of my people are in ministry and the whole world belongs to me. It's like, ah. So I'm going to give you a real quick picture right now because I don't know if I'll get a chance to do this again later. I'm going to give you a framework for the rest of your life during this period of extraordinary shaking that is happening on planet Earth. I've been preaching for a couple of years. I was in Israel. I have family in Israel, uh, as you might imagine. I have a sister. And uh, I was in Israel preaching during the Feast of Tabernacles. I left the feast when Hamas attacked. And I was preaching. What do you think I was preaching? Strange coincidence. I was preaching the book of Haggai, where the prophet Haggai, I believe is the prophet. I've been saying this for the last four or five years. I wrote it in a book on Trump. I said, here we are now. People are always wondering about, they, they put prophets in a weird position where they're having to predict, you know, who's going to win the election, who's going to do this, who's going to do that. And I say, that's not the best utilization of the prophetic anointing. What you should be really doing is taking a look at the prophetic pattern because the pattern is always accurate. The specifics can fade in and fade out. So what I realized was that the pattern we are in right now, I'm going to do this really rapid, 1948, Israel comes back to become a nation. This is a rather unusual and incredible miracle, probably the biggest thing that happened in the last 100 years, that a people who were scattered around the earth for 2,000 years into 100 different nations should all, within a matter of a couple of years, come back to the original territory that they were in, speaking the same language and practicing the same beliefs. Never in history has it ever happened. But God said he was going to regather them back into Israel. So in 1948, that thing started. Now, since 1948, I believe we are in the pattern of Israel returning to the land. Well, when did that happen? It happened when they were dispersed into Babylon and then regathered again. 
And that's the story of Cyrus. Let me say this again. If I can find the pattern of when Israel was scattered throughout the earth and then supernaturally regathered, I might find the pattern of what's happening historically since 1948. 